You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. I think what you're trying to ask is uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it. In the first place, to me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So again, I think I've said this before in the same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Hey, Montoya, I'm not sure if you're talking, but I can't hear anything. Hey, y'all. Good morning. This is Ashley Thomas with Making Money Matter. Um, we are trying to get everything going this morning. I hope that y'all are doing well. Um, we have a really great show for y'all today. Um, so let me just go ahead and do an introduction while I am communicating with Montoya to see how everything is going. Uh, so I have been on the show before. My name is Ashley Thomas. I am the president owner of Making Money Matter. Um, you might have participated in some of our shows. We do them every second Monday of the month where we talk about where money meets mental health and we partner with Mental Dialogue to have those conversations with Dr. Pittman. Uh, so today, we are supposed to be having a great show about taxes and finances. Um, I hope that you all are ready to partake in that. I'm just trying to see what's going on because I can't hear anything, so I don't know what's happening in the background. Um, I have been a co-host on the show before, so you've probably heard me, um, but let's see if we can go ahead and get into it today. So, we are going to be talking about Elon Musk and why he's not paying any tax in terms of um, his businesses and Tesla. All right, so today our, uh, our co-host is going to be Justin Hempstead. I'm very confident he's been on the show before. Um, he's going to be joining us in this conversation. And Justin, are you on the line? 
I am. I am. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Um, so, so if you could, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the Mental Dialogue community so they can find out more about you? Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, again, my name is Justin Hempstead. Uh, I have been on uh, many times before. I founded a uh, nonprofit, God, it's uh, probably been 14 years now. Uh, we It's called Flight Academy. Um financially leading youth to entrepreneurship. Uh, I talk a lot about investing your dollars and how to make them grow through assets such as real estate and um, stocks. And now we're into crypto and insurance for people who are in the game a little bit more. But tax point perspective from this is how you can utilize the investments to, like you said, you, you don't necessarily – you can utilize it to leverage uh, leverage your money a little bit more. You don't necessarily pay taxes on all of it, but a lot of times you can you can get large refunds just for knowing how to utilize credits and invest in certain assets. So, yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting ride. I will say that. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to pull this from Montoya's bag. Um what was your first thought when you heard um, the show topic? Oh, about about the taxes. Yes. And how? Well, I'll say my first thought is that uh, if more people knew how to leverage the tax code, there would be a lot less, I guess, um, lack of lack of finance in the community. I would say that. Yeah. But that's okay. the thing a lot. We're not exposed to it. All we understand is, oh, I got to get the H and R block so I can get my refund. Yes. So I will admit I had a similar first thought because I own two businesses, and prior to owning my businesses, it was just like, oh, go ahead, file your taxes. If you get some money back, fantastic. Um, but now I am a firm believer. I tell everyone, um, you have to have a business. So we're going to go ahead and bring in our next uh, co-host, William Agnew. So, William, come on in and introduce yourself to the community and let us know your first thought when you heard the question from Montoya. Good morning. This is William Agnew. Um, let me see. First thought when I heard the question from Montoya. Well, Montoya and I, I've been on, a, I've been on the show quite a few times also. And I have a few businesses. I've been in I've been in business for myself since 2008 when I left uh, Intel Corporation. Um, and the reason why I left Intel Corporation is because I began to understand uh, the advantages of owning your own business. And traditionally, I had gone the uh, traditional route, which most people start with, which is what our uh, our system or our community or our you know uh, the, the actually kind of wants people to do it helps people do more than anything so when i got in i realized like this is not max i'm I'm not maximizing my uh potential uh for making money Mm -hmm. uh for for the most part and um i was doing it the hard way (laughs) but it was the only way that i knew which is what people kind of fall fall into and so as i began to uh you know just get in the, the world and understand the significance of having my own business and then seeing it done at the at the height of like Intel Corporation, which is like a Fortune 500 company, and kind of 
being interested in moving up in, in that company, but at the same time, understanding that I had a ceiling um, in working with, uh, working for somebody and understanding that I could do probably less that I was doing and maximize more if I just understood the game better. Mm-hmm. And so that led me, that led me to take everything that I had worked hard for and save and take that money and invest and leverage that money. I noticed the, uh, the special uh, guest, uh, I'm sorry, I, I missed his name, but he used the word leverage a lot. And I think that's what we have to understand is the importance of, you know, terms like leverage. Leverage is a very, very important concept when it comes to finances and money and economics. And if you don't understand how to leverage what you actually have access to or the capital that you actually make over your lifetime, then you're going to, you know, uh, drastically reduce your ability to maximize um, that money. And so it's just about education to start with for me, for the most part. It started with education, and then as I educated myself, I kind of moved into, you know, having my own business, being able to leverage those businesses, and then invest that money that I was making, you know, so my money would then begin to make money. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much my my story in a, in a Reader's Digest kind of <laughs> wrap-up. So. <laughs> okay, great. So I appreciate the introductions. I appreciate the first thoughts. Um, I think we got some great concepts to build on. We're actually going to go ahead and go to commercial, and Montoya should be coming on with us. So we're going to go ahead and hear a word from our sponsors. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good, it should be illegal. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of Intelligent Radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. Are you serious about learning how to earn significant income on a regular basis as a trader or investor in the U.S. stock or foreign exchange markets? If so, you may be the perfect student to learn technical analysis for trading or investing at the Blacks Academy. With over 15 years of experience in investment strategies, here's what a current student recently said about his experience at Blacks Academy. Yeah, this class has been excellent, and I've had a lot of experience trading, but um, this is the most exposure that I've had to breaking down the theory behind TA. I'm really excited to continue the journey. For a similar experience, don't allow new traders with overnight success to promise you riches they can't deliver on. Instead, learn the foundations of trading and investing the right way at Blacks Academy. To learn more, visit them at blacks.academy online. That's B-L-A-X-E dot academy. Or search for Blacks Academy on YouTube. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and my co-host, Ashley Thomas, has been holding me down for the 10 minutes of technical difficulties that I've been experiencing. So thank you, Queen, for holding me down. Justin and uh, William, glad to have both of you back for this morning's discussion question. Why does Tesla pay $0 in U.S. taxes? I think both of you guys are behemoths in this area, and I wanted to have this dialogue from two areas, from a technical space 
and from a mindset space. I wanted to get into the technical stuff first and actually so aptly ask y'all, you know, what were your initial thoughts? And, again, I wasn't surprised by the things you said, but, again, glad to have both of you all. Actually glad to have you um, hold me down again because I couldn't get on initially for the first 10 minutes. So thank you again, Queen, for that. But to go ahead and get right into um, this morning's discussion, if you will, I wanted to ask, you know, you, Justin, as a accountant by trade, serial entrepreneur, uh, like William, also a serial entrepreneur. I consider William an international businessman. I don't know if that's, I don't know if he gave that for his background or not, but I consider him that. Uh, but again, thought it would be very interesting to hear it uh, from the viewpoint of someone who's actually in, you know, accounting, if you will, by trade. And so, getting directly at that question, if you had to surmise outside looking in, right, just to start directly with the question um, as an accountant, how does Tesla in itself get to zero, which is very different than Elon Musk, known for, you know, in a sense, I guess being the owner or whatever of it, but how does the company itself get to zero from your perspective as best as you can surmise? Well, um, good morning, Montoya. It's great to be on here. I'm glad that I have the chance to uh, share some of the uh, knowledge that I've I've acquired over the years from working in, in tax. But uh, Tesla, being a, being a company uh, with Fortune 500, Fortune 100, uh, they they have enough assets that they are able to leverage the tax code. So the tax code is essentially built around how do you how do you, I guess, sustain the economy or help sustain the economy? If you can help sustain the economy, Tesla's right now, they're supplying a product that is really um, the demand, the hybrid uh, um, electric vehicle and what have you. People are really starting to go on that with cost of fuel and how, how that's going. So they are able to benefit the economy, and as a result, the economy benefits them with tax incentives, tax credit dollars. Um, you know, when people really look at it, you when you have an electric vehicle now or hybrid vehicle, they'll give you a credit for like a green green energy because so much of pollution, pollution and everything comes as in our in our country right now. You know, that's considered a green energy um when you really look at it. So, yeah, they're able to leverage the uh, tax code by all the benefits that they are producing for society. I mean, they provide jobs. So even with jobs, you get tax credits for hiring people. Um, you know, so it, there's, a, there's a lot that goes in as far as the different credits that they have access to, but that is the one of the main ways that they are avoiding Tax the taxes. I mean, individuals can do it too. If you like, again, like I said, if you know how to leverage leverage the code and invest in certain things that are going to provide you those, those incentives, um, then it can be as simple as purchasing a, a small house for um, hundred thousand and you get depreciation benefits. So, yeah, that's how Tesla is doing it. Yeah, I mean, to the point, you know, just even highlighting, like you said, that even, you know, as an individual, if I buy a Tesla. Um, me getting a green tax credit or whatever, like I said, based on being green, being healthy for the benefit. So not only, in a sense, is the company able to pay zero dollars in taxes, but it's even being afforded to me as the individual. And more likely, I ain't trying to turn that credit down 
if I get my Tesla, I want my credit. You feel me? So, so again, we're going to get into the mindset to a degree. But I'm just saying, you like to a degree, I, when I hear you say that, they're giving so much of a benefit that it's actually being afforded to the actual consumers of their product. That's how how much of a benefit Tesla is having out there. Uh, William, for what I wanted you to do, um, being someone who's recently started a, 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 a business, actually I think during the pandemic and scaled it to, you know, to over a million dollars, a couple of million I think it actually, but even with that said, um, how does someone like yourself, you know, go into starting a business and how is – the tax structure, an aspect into you starting a business. Because I know you started several businesses and you have the car right. business, the most recent one that's going well, you know, again, in revenue as well. Again, I know it takes a while to actually make a profit, but I think that's part of the aspect that you have to think about when you're going into business. You know, hey, my profit may not happen until year three, year five. Some business even, you know, some business I've even read books about certain entrepreneurs, they might not even see a profit necessarily um, to 10 years, but of course they're getting their salary and they're counting on the tax benefit to get to that three-year mark or to that five-year mark. So without that, you probably wouldn't be able to even think to start the business is my guess, but you can tell me if I'm right or wrong about that. Oh, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right, 100%. I think, I think the biggest thing with starting a business, people have to start from the very beginning and understand is ultimately you have to decide what you want the outcome of your business to be because it can be different for different people. There are people who get into business for long term. It's just like any investment, right? Any investment. And a business is simply an investment. And at the end of the day, you're investing more into your own resources and capabilities as opposed to investing in somebody else's idea or resources or capabilities. And so with that said, you have to make the decision as to whether you want, is this a short-term idea in terms of business or, you, or is it a cash grab? We like to refer to it as a cash grab, right? Or is this a asset uh, a scale thing where you're trying to increase the value more so than you're trying to put cash in your pocket? And so you kind of got to understand, like, what your, what your objective is in that in that in that in that first, because that's going to dictate, number one, and I'm sure Justin, and forgive me, Justin, I didn't even recognize that was you at first, that's why I suggested, but um, you have to, and I'm sure Justin's aware of this, like how you set your business up has a lot to do with tax incentives and, you know, some of the things that you can and cannot do uh, based on taxes. So in that, you have to know what you're trying to accomplish before you can even do that. So for me, uh, most of the businesses that I do are long-term businesses. So, yes, I probably, you know, the businesses that I do is, two, is typically group-funded. Uh, uh, I like to do businesses that are scalable businesses. So with that being said, it's not so much a cash grab as it is growing the investment for future uh, uh, sales uh, for the most part. So maybe I'm trying to, for the most part, I'm trying to create, create increase this asset to the place where, I can sell it where it's going to grow to where it, it outgrows, it grows in itself, and then it becomes this value that is sellable in the marketplace, and it creates this value proposition to the marketplace. So with that being said, yeah, I want more of the tax incentives so that I can continue to scale my business because you are rewarded for taking that money you make and putting it back into the economy, which is why you get the tax incentives in the first place. The government is going to reward you for offering, like Justin said, that benefit to the community and to society. And so that's what it's set up to do. It's, it's, it's 
It's set up to reward you so you have that incentive, which is very important. Like, you got to understand, people don't do anything for nothing, right? And it's all about benefit, right? And so with that, in order for me to take my money that I'm making and put it back into the community, invest in hiring people, invest in, you know, taking that risk, the government is going to reward me for doing that. So in essence, what I'm able to do is if I spend the money that I make, then that exempts me from having to pay taxes on it. So if I put it back into the economy, for the most part, depending on how you set it up, but if I go out and I'm investing in our economy, they're going to reward me for providing those services and those benefits to other people. And the way that they get rewarded, if, if we want to get into why Tesla doesn't pay, is because Tesla's value is huge in regards to that concept. So what they're able to do, uh, there's, when they hire people, I mean, we pay four or five different types of taxes, right? We pay sales tax. We pay uh, property tax. We pay, uh, you know, we pay income tax. So with that being said, in, in regards to Elon, right, if he can, if his value is big enough to literally have people relocate from, say, California to Texas, which is happening right now, right, there's, a, there's this gold rush to Texas from California, uh, and Elon is relocating in Texas because it's more centralized, and there's a lot of reasons why he's doing it. But if he has enough value in the marketplace to incentivize people to actually move there, then how does that benefit Austin, Texas, right? Well, you got property taxes, you got sales taxes. So there's more than just uh, business tax or income tax. There's several different benefits that the, 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 the city of Austin will get by incentivizing an uh, individual like Elon Musk to actually come and provide his value, right, to that particular community. So in his, he's, he's more of a scale type person. Now, you know, I don't want to get too long, but if you talk about the uh, the cash grab of it, yes, you could be a solopreneur, right? And you could just be like, yo, I know this is hot for right now. I'm going to get as much cash as I can. And I don't really care about, you know, growing it in terms of spending my cash and putting it back in because I'm not trying to grow it. So in that case, your incentives are not going to be as much because you're putting that cash in your pocket. So the government's like, yo, they don't incentivize you to save as much as they incentivize you to spend, if that makes sense. So with that mindset, when starting a business, you have to decide which, which kind of strategy you actually want to go down. So for me, I'm more of a scalable. I've done the cash grab stuff, right? But at this point in my career and in my, my evolution, I'm more of trying to build something and have the ability to be sold. And then I'll worry about the taxes after I sell it because obviously I'm going to have to pay my, my gains tax on whatever I sell it for, right? So – that makes sense. No, I, I think no, I love that. That's a great distinction. I'm glad you pointed that out because um, I would highlight this as a thought, and um, I'm going to jump to Ashley here, but I just want to throw this because just from listening to you, I would offer those two distinctions are absolutely needed for understanding, in a sense, as you said, how you're going to start your business and things of this nature. But I would offer that to a degree. Uh, if you're not a business owner or, and you get caught up in, the, I'll say, the political narrative of, you know, how much should we pay in taxes or how much does the wealthy pay? Because, again, these are narratives that are obviously um, matters to a lot of people and their political narratives to a degree. Uh, but I will offer listening to you, William, that a lot of people confuse the two methodologies from this standpoint. It's, in my opinion, based on what you just said, that mm -hmm. a lot of people that are creating the scalable businesses outside looking in, those of us who have not – took the risk of starting a scalable business, we're assuming that 
that individual that's, you know, the, that's the face of that company is actually going for a money grab. Like when you break down those two assumptions, if you've never taken that risk and had to make that decision of whether I'm going to start a scalable business or I'm going to go, as you say, the money grab approach, I think outside mm-hmm. looking in, people confuse what those owners are doing, and that creates some of the, you know, I don't know, the, 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 the issues with, quote, unquote, how the wealthy are taxed. Just, just a thought exactly. just from listening to you. Um, as you if you will, Queen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As you will, uh, Queen, uh, just, I'm pretty sure, thank you for, again for holding me down at the beginning of the show. Um, just to highlight this, Ashley is the CEO of Making Money Matters. She's in money, so that's why I asked her to be the co-host of this show. Again, she got stuck with hosting duties, not co-hosting <laughs> duties at the beginning of the show. So I'm pretty sure you didn't share your background. Thank you again for that, Queen. But I just wanted to highlight your background because you as a money person, as you listen to both of them, I don't know if you have any questions or would just like to, in a sense, add some thoughts to how you see Tesla, you know, at zero. Because I always think money people see that different than – myself or others, I would just say, as citizens that see that headline in the news, I think money people look at those headlines very different than, quote, unquote, the average American. So just your thoughts about that title or anything that's been said so far, Queen. Yeah, so for me, um, when I see it, like, I <laughs> I expect businesses to pay zero, right? Like, everything that's been done um, for the tax code and even the tax breaks and tax handouts that have been given over the last few years have been for the benefit of business um, because they do bolster our economy. But I, I think my question is more so, right, because when we're talking about a cash grab versus scalable, um, how can someone know uh, – because if, if they are not, you know, if they don't have the formal business background or they don't understand it, and this is an effort that they are just starting because they have an idea, um, how can someone know whether they should pivot to one or the other? So let's say they're in a cash grab and they realize, like, this is not working for me. Maybe I want to um, pivot to something that's scalable. Is is there um, – are there – concepts that they should be considering? Are there things that they should understand in order for them to do that pivot so that they are taking advantage of the tax code? I'm not sure if my question makes sense, but, you know, just I I think that sometimes when people get started in business, um, either they kind of know what they are doing or they don't. Uh, and if they don't have the right connections, they don't know when it's time to kind of adjust and, and do things that are more beneficial for them and their business in the long run. You know, maybe they have an idea that this is not sustainable, but how can I adjust? How can I start moving in a position where it's more advantageous for my business and myself to make it scalable or, you know, a cash grab if, if that would be beneficial for them where they are in their life? I was wondering which one did you want to uh, answer that? Oh, well, I want both of you to answer because yeah. you're going to be able to answer from the accountant perspective, and then William will be able to answer from the, you know, again, having to make that decision as a serial entrepreneur um, several times in his life. But we'll, we'll, we'll start with you, Justin. Go ahead, King. Okay, so you're, you're wanting to know, and I'm just reiterating the question, you're wanting to know how can someone determine what is the best route to go? Well, that is correct, right? From us. Um, for the most part, yeah. let's, let's add the whole the entire context real quickly. So for her, 
she pointed out somebody who's already started down a path and then them having to make the transition. So it's, it's kind of the details of what, are the, that, what does that look like. Because I know you've helped, I know you personally, you've helped plenty of entrepreneurs make that transition, but without knowing you, as she said, if they don't have somebody like you in their circle, they'll make the transition or want to do something. They'll go from money grab to scalable, but they may make a lot of mistakes because they don't have the info or have a good accountant who looks out for that type of thing. Say, hey, let's switch to this. So it's not just the beginning of which one do you pick. She's saying they've already started and now they want to transition because that's very different than starting off correctly, which is what you always recommend. So I like her question because it's, it's having to make the transition and find somebody like you to help them do it. So what does that look like? And well, okay. Well, and also one of the one of the transitions and things that you have to be aware of is your company structure. A lot, a lot of people right now, um, when starting a business, no matter if it's cash grab or, and they say, oh, Lord, we're going to make it scalable. A lot of people just tend to jump on the LLC. Uh, I know, I know, I know personally, uh, a real good friend of mine. He just he just started an LLC. Uh, last quarter of um, 2021, and so this was the first year of them filing taxes. Well, like I said, he's got an LLC, and he's like, okay, I got my company, um, and he's actually saying it's going to be scalable. But one of the things that people aren't aware of are the different ways that a structure can be taxed uh, when it comes to an LLC. So the tax structure if you have an LLC and you just and you're just starting it out well and you haven't, you know, put in put any type of uh structure related uh, uh let's just say a, a proper structure, you'd be taxed as a sole sole proprietor. Sole proprietorship, um, if it's cash even if it's cash grab, you know, you're um making a lot of money and your tax rate is gonna be very high. Um so when you know how to leverage the code and the structure, then you know how to change the business structure to possibly an S corporation. Might work better for you. If you have a partner, you can still do an S corporation. Some partners do partnerships, but I feel the S corporation is a, a very sustainable structure. Uh, you can utilize it to uh, deduct a lot more than you can as a sole proprietor, and then you can then roll that over into your personal taxes and if you have to pay anything at all. So understand the different structures out there. Um, some people, you know, when you really get into it and start acquiring the knowledge, you know, the C corporation, a lot of large, large companies are C corporations. Uh, again, they're providing a lot of jobs, but they get those incentives. But that's, I'll say that's the main thing that you want to know about. How am I going to be taxed once getting this business, whether it's a cash grab or whether it's sustainable? And I, no, I, I like just want to say, like... We're up against the break real quick, if we will, Ashley. Uh, thank you. For, sorry about that. Let me do this break and then come out of the break okay. with your questions. Uh, absolutely. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. If you're looking to purchase or sell a home in Atlanta's competitive real estate market, there's only one real estate agent we call on, Ephraim Abdullah. Not only is he honest and straightforward, but he has a proven, repeatable strategy that consistently gets his clients the homes they wanted versus their second or third choice. 
What's Elfram's secret? His virtual on-the-spot offer moves his clients to the front of the line for purchases. And for sales, his no-nonsense approach gets your home sold and off the market. For a results-oriented real estate experience, contact Elfram Abdullah, a licensed agent powered by EXP Realty at 770-800-7922. Again, that number is 770-800-7922. Everyone depends on hospitals, roads, police and schools. But they're expensive and governments across the world are feeling the pinch. So how can we continue in the future to afford good quality public services? Why has pressure on public services increased? Populations are ageing. As the number of retirees grows, working people are going to have to pay more taxes to support them. And as healthcare technology improves, the cost of healthcare is also going to rise. But where to find the cash? Basically, governments can tax three things. Income, consumption, or wealth. It's not your imagination. Income taxes really have been increasing over the past 50 years. The evidence shows that taxes on income, including corporation tax, discourage people from working. Countries with low income taxes, such as the UK, tend to have stronger economic growth. Second, consumption. This is things like sales tax in America or value-added tax on purchases in Europe. One problem with consumption taxes is that they hit poor people hardest who spend more of their income on day-to-day expenses. Third, we have wealth taxes. This could be a better idea than taxing income or consumption. This is partly because it places a higher levy on the things that rich people have, such as property and investments. Some economists advocate something called a land value tax. And this is basically where you tax the value of plots of land. And this can raise a lot of money. A land value tax has very few unintentional bad consequences. The problem is that taxing wealth is not politically easy. Homeowners, for instance, are going to be furious if they're asked to pay higher property taxes. But if people want good government services, it's going to need money. Taxes on wealth are always unpopular. But sooner or later, governments are going to have to bite the bullet. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas. This morning's discussion question, why does Tesla pay $0 in U.S. taxes? Our special guest, William Agnew, serial entrepreneur, as well as tax accountant, Justin Hempstead. Ashley, if you will, Queen, go ahead with your um, thoughts you were saying before the break. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I, I really appreciate that point. I think that it has been... Um, it, it's a much needed point to make one because um, with everything that happened with COVID and like you saw the the surgeons of people forming LLCs to take advantage of PPP loans and, you know, all of that. Um, but I think it speaks to a greater point of going into business is a strategic um, effort where you have to be thinking about things Um, before you get to certain points down the road so that you know you're going in the right direction, right? Like if if you know what the taxes are, um, how that works up front, then you can be taking the steps to make sure that you're taking advantage of the tax code that is actually beneficial for you. So I I just think that that was a, a great point to make because 
a lot of people that are that don't understand business, that don't understand taxes, myself included, you know, you tend to just focus on the business without really thinking about the other things until it's probably too late. So I, I really appreciate that that point in talking about mm-hmm. those different structures. Oh, definitely. So, uh, William, if you will, can you jump in? Again, I know you've done this several times with various businesses, so I don't know if you even have any personal examples of learning that transition, I would assume, because, again, now you've been a long-time entrepreneur, and I'm pretty sure over the years, um, you again, you've gotten smarter, and you've talked, like I say, talked about doing it from two, both approaches, so I don't know if, you know, you have any lumps you took or, or things you you learned in sports getting smarter about the taxes and how much that plays a role in the type of business. So if you could, you know, just give a personal example, I think it would be um, imperative right now. William, did we lose you? Oh, sorry about that. I had, I right. had you on mute. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I think what people get, um, I think what's misunderstood a lot of times is people expect that in business you're going to have it figured out from the very beginning. And so you know what the end looks like from the very beginning. And in most cases, for most people, that is not the case. I would say 99.9%, they don't end the way that they start, right? It's a, it's, it's a process. And it's a learning. You know, you use the word learning. It's definitely learning, and here's the thing: no matter how much business you do, no matter how much you, uh, uh, how long you've been in it, it's always changing, right? The environment's changing, the value proposition is changing in the marketplace. Uh, what people like, what people don't like, trends are changing. So, what you plan today is not necessarily where you're going to end up at in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. So. Examples are, I'll give you a couple of examples. I got two businesses right now that I'm really focused on heavy. And you mentioned the rap business, right? And the rap business was a business we started about two years ago, right? And that's a local business. And so that has a lot to do with how you're going to set it up and what you're trying to do in the end game also because in order for me to service my customers, they have to be on my site. So that's a little different than one of my other businesses where it's a, there's no borders, right, because it's the Internet. Uh, education business. So in that, it's different. It's a different perspective. There's a different demand. There's a different customer. There's a different market value. And so, you know, and that's always changing. And again, you have to, what you start today and the way you set it up and the idea you may have, when you actually start to do that business, that business and that marketplace and those customers might show you that the way you thought you were supposed to do it is not the way that you need to do it or it's not most are beneficial for you. So that might change in the middle. And so I use that point because it's a learning process. So don't think you have to have it figured out from the very beginning. People change what their strategy is and what their goals and try and what they're trying to accomplish is every day all the time, right? I'll give you an example, like the rap business. Again, it's a local business, but that doesn't mean at some point we're 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 doing somewhere on on and I don't like to, you know, uh, use numbers too much, you know, uh, but I do because it gives you perspective. Right now, we do about 150 to you know 175 thousand dollars per month, and I'm using this to give you guys a, a perspective. That's local business. That's just local. So, and local is 20 miles to 30 miles radius from where you actually provide the service. Right now, with that being said, do we want to scale that business? Potentially. Have we decided that we are going to do the things that would allow us? to scale that business? Not necessarily. Why? Because capital injection is going to be a big thing. Franchising is going to be a big thing. And that type of business, right? You would have to franchise. You would have to brand. 
You would have to have capital injections. So a lot of those things help you decide whether this is something you just want to do the cash grab for or you want to scale for. And, you know, I might, regardless of how much uh, experience I have, I might decide for that business $1.2 million a year is, is fine. This is where we're going to stay. We don't want that headache. We, want, we don't want that risk. Because when you get to the Elon Musk level, now it's not about money anymore. So what happens is, I, like right now, I'm putting money in my pocket, right? Because I'm generating a lot of money on a local, on a, in a local business, right? I'm not, I'm not bringing on all of those scalable expenses. Now, when we make the decision to scale, right? That's making the decision to take that money out of my pocket, right, and put that money back into the business so I can create the brand, so I can franchise, so I can pay these different objectives. And, again, you don't have to have that objective from the very beginning. That might be something you're interested in, but it doesn't have to be the case from the very beginning. Now, if I use the, uh, the training platform, that cost of doing business is very low. That profit margin is very, very high because the cost of doing that is very low. And then what I can, what I can charge based on the demand, based on the, what people want, you know, it might cost me $200 for every $1,500 that I make, right? And – that has a, and so that's going to allow me to scale very differently, right? Scalability is probably something I want to do from the very beginning. So my point with giving those examples, Montoya, um, which is very which I always like to do because it makes things real, is is it doesn't have to be understood from the very beginning. It can it can transition in the middle, right? Once you understand, because a lot of times, as an entrepreneur, you might think you know what the market wants. You might think you know what the value proposition is. You might think you know, you know, you might think you're going to make a lot of money. And, you know, you might present your product or your service to the marketplace, and the marketplace may tell you something totally different. Or it may switch up on you right in the middle, which may change how you set your business, how you structure your business, and how you, you know, you, you see what I'm saying? So it, it's not. No, I know. I love these details. Um, again, think about it. If you think about it, um, my guess is, and this is why we're doing the show, a lot of people have not heard it from this perspective. Again, I know you've been doing this for a long time, so those examples are poignant to what we're talking about. And I would love to highlight this. We've got Brother Pianchi wanting to jump in, so I'm going to get him in here as quick, quick as well. But I just want to highlight one thing that you said, that you may want to stay at the, you know, at a certain level because you're not certain you want those headaches. And I'm just wanting to highlight if you just have only been on the receiving end of the narrative about whether you like taxes or dislike taxes or not. You're never even considering that business owners are having to figure out, do I really want that headache, even though it may make me worth even more money to a degree. And it's just something that I don't think people even get a chance to think about. I want to go to um, Brother Pianchi real quick. Hey, how you doing, Brother Pianchi? we got about a minute and a half before break. We can keep you on longer if we need to. Thanks for calling in, Kenny. Well, the answer to your question, I don't think that those businesses pay any taxes whatsoever because they are people. And you got states, Nevada and uh, Delaware, Florida, where there's no business tax whatsoever. They do a good job at hiring people. I think Tesla should pay any taxes. Uh, and if you had a business, I don't think your business should pay any taxes either. So that's just uh, what he does. He uses the advantages. Especially, you know, you had the last administration that allows you to expense your capital improvements. If you buy equipment, uh, you're allowed to expense that. 
uh, in a year rather than carrying it out into the future. So if you can expense it, we can go out and start more jobs, buy more equipment, and hire more people, and putting them to work to do the things that uh, that's needed. So that's my answer to that question. No, I love it. I always thank you for your input. Uh, Brother Pianca, again, if you want to get back in, please um, do that. We are up against the break, but thank you for your three cents this morning. Thank you, sir. All right, if you're out there listening, we'll open it up. And if you entrepreneurs out there listening, maybe you have some questions for our tax accountant, if you will, Justin Hempstead, or our serial entrepreneur, uh, William Agnew. If so, give us a call at 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646 646- Seven eight seven one six nine one. Press one to let us know you want to speak. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Please join us on the weekend of April 29th through 30th for the Key Lombo Family Fun Fest. This event has something for the entire family with classes in African dance, art, drumming, cooking, martial arts, and many others. Kilombo Academic and Cultural Institute hosts a series of virtual fun, games, and engaging classes in order to raise money for their students' tuition and competitive salaries for their teachers. Kilombo Academic and Cultural Institute is an African-centered, accredited school in Decatur, Georgia. Kilombo's mission is to foster an academically excellent and culturally relevant education that produces students who are equipped to succeed globally and are committed to social justice. For more information or to become a sponsor of the Quilombo's Family Fun Fest, please visit them at quilomboschool.com. That is quilomboschool.com. K-I-L-O-M-B-O school.com. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Again, I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas, CEO of Making Money Matters. Our discussion question this morning, why does Tesla pay zero in U.S. taxes? Our special guest, tax accountant Justin Hempstead, as well as international businessman William Agnew. Again, if you're on the phone line, you do have to press 1 if you want to speak. I wanted to, if we could, uh, I wanted to do some taxes by the numbers just, again, to give perspective as we delve into, as you heard Brother Pianchi call in and say, hey, I don't think these back taxes. These businesses should pay any taxes. That's his personal opinion, and I hear that opinion quite often. And, again, when you throw it in the political mix, the community fights over whether that should be done or not. And, you know, Brother Pianca gave his incentive and said, hey, they're providing other jobs. So there is incentive to, in a sense, take on that headache that William talked about prior to the break. Uh, but just to give some, just some, some context for the numbers, and it's not whether – for me, it's not about whether what side of should you pay taxes or not pay taxes or should the wealthy pay. It's not about that for me as much as just giving this context and having this dialogue, hopefully, that people can learn from. And so just to give some context, um, our country, $4.5 trillion in taxes a year. Uh, if you know any of the history of even the idea of our government even adding income tax and things of that nature, I think it was right at the turn of last century, if I remember correctly or whatever. And so over the years, that percentage that they've taken has gone up. And so in a sense, everybody, generally speaking, most Americans can feel the tax uh, increase to a degree, if you will, again, to the tune of $4.5 trillion. Um, the states could take, take in about one, $1 trillion, if you will, right? And so one way that you will see it put in the political realm quite often, again, these headlines are obviously to 
in a sense, evoke your emotion. And sometimes those that are writing the 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 the, 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 the article or presenting the piece have an agenda in mind. So here's something just to give a perspective on how you'll see things put out in the media. So quite often um, there was a, um, a study, an eight-year study from 10, 2010 to 2008, and I remember, or since I remember, I looked and saw this, um, CNN. CNBC pointed out that the top 400 families average tax rate was 8.2% compared to the average American, which was 13.3%. In a sense, that's kind of um, how the headline, how much does the top 400 families in America pay in comparison to the average American? So that's absolutely one timeline, one headline that paints a picture. However, here's the full context. So, wow, how are the top 400 paying less than the average American? Well, when you go and look at that $4.5 trillion and see who pays the gist of it, the top 1% pays 40% of it. The top 10% pays 71% of that total $4.5 trillion. And I'm not making a position here. I'm just pointing out the numbers. The bottom 50%, those that make the least income, pays 3% of that $4.5 trillion. not painting a picture, just giving full context. So full context meaning if you hear a headline from just one perspective, it evokes a certain agenda of motion about taxes, about who should be paying the most, when the reality is just when you put the full context, it's not as simple as that. Ashley, any thoughts of just kind of hearing these overall numbers, just trying to put things in context. Because ultimately what I'm hoping to do with the context is how you as money people, y'all don't get concerned with the political leaning of whether the wealthy should pay more, or how much taxes America. Y'all are just always trying to get the information for, like any other, like the average person, how do I navigate whatever comes down legally in order to get to zero, which is a term that I hear a lot of, Accountants use trying to get to zero. Individuals want to get to zero as best as possible. Businesses want to get to zero. So for people that are not caught up in the politics of it, how does those numbers sound to you, Ashley? Um, I I don't know that I have an answer for that. Only because when I think about the average person, right? Like I, I think about their thoughts regarding, you know, when when you talk about our country and we talk about infrastructure and all of these things that taxes account for, you know, I, I could definitely see how they get caught up in the conversation. Um, and and so I, I'm kind of right in the middle, right? Like, I, I can understand their perspective as a business owner. I understand, like, if, if these are the rules that they created for businesses, why not take advantage of them, right? Like these were, rules were created so that they could maintain their wealth, so that they could keep um, majority of the money. And so I think this goes to the point earlier that you made about that, that mindset. There is a specific mindset that you have to have when it comes to business um, and kind of taking away the political aspect of it and really focusing on just the business and the taxes. So I, I don't know if I have an answer per se to that because I, I can mm-hmm. see both sides. And, and I don't think that there is a right or wrong in this instance, um, a right or a wrong way to look at it, only because these are laws that are put into place 
specifically for this reason. So, you know, you shouldn't be upset about businesses, but when you look at the state of our country and the things and, and how we have a lack of things because of a lack of taxes and how these businesses shelter some of their income by um, having these safe havens or having these accounts overseas, you know, it, it, it is, frustrating and upsetting as a citizen. So I, I'm kind of in the middle. I don't know that I have an answer. <laughs> no, that's fair. So let's, let's, let me dialogue with that, and I'm going to go to William here um, very briefly because I'm pretty sure he has something to say. And so as I hear you navigate through it, like you said, you're kind of in the middle, if you will. Uh, however, prior to me bringing this particular question, I go back to the William example of his local business, and I'm just kind of using it, again, to just – um, maybe, you know, bring a point in that thought process. As you said, I like how you said not getting into the right or wrong of it. I just want to highlight even wasting, in my opinion, I'll say wasting time getting frustrated versus possibly learning the game because we can look at it as a tax shelter to, if you will, keep your wealth, but if we just heard William use his rap business to say, hey, i putting money in my pocket currently, However, the government incentivizes him to take on the headache of a payroll and what that entails and scaling it if he wanted to value it, scale the business, and make even more money. The government tax codes actually incentivizes him not just simply to keep money in his pocket, but, hey, can you employ more people? Because here's the perspective for some of the incentives. At the end of the day, as much as the government is collecting tax-wise for infrastructure and all of these things, ideally what it loves about the 11% of the country who are full-time entrepreneurs, what it loves about that is if we can get them to employ and we can give them tax breaks, not just for them to keep their money, but to put their money, spend their money, as William said, back into the economy, that's less people we have to take care of. If, if you're going to treat, in a sense, treat the government as an entity from a, you know, getting putting it in, a, in the human perspective. So when Walmart provides or Amazon provides, literally, it literally does, this is a real number, 1.1 million jobs, when it provides 1.1 million jobs, they're glad that they were able to incentivize Jeff Bezos to scale it that big because he, like William, could have, kept it lower, we may not know him. He may not be the billionaire we know him to be today had he chose not to scale to 1 million employees. Uh, William, your perspective, again, I'm just walking through the dialogue as I've learned not to get caught up into the politics of taxes, if you will. At least in my opinion, I feel like I've learned not to. But your thoughts on some of what I've just said? I think I, I think you hit it on the head, man. Oh. Oh, am, I, am I? Can you hear me? Yeah, you're live. Go ahead, King. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh, I think you hit it on the head, man. It's incentive. You know, it's incentivized. Uh, you know, guys at that level, and we're talking about Elon Musk, right? And so that's a level that most of us aren't, you know, we aren't familiar with, right? Obviously, we don't have friends that are billionaires or the richest men in the world. Uh, and these guys obviously could sit down if they wanted to. Like, there's nothing they have to do. So they're they're not required to do anything. If they wanted to sit down today and do nothing for the rest of their lives, they you know, they got enough money for their children's children's children, <laughs> you know what I mean? And Walmart, Amazon, Google, all of these guys, they do. 
And so, you know, I often ask this question. I'm like, you know, one of the one of the people I respect the most, or one of the uh, careers that I respect the most, are professional coaches, right? Who who coach professional teams. And the reason why I say that is because, how do you motivate a millionaire to be a champion? You understand what I'm saying? If you understand my concept, it's like, how do I go out every day and motivate somebody that already has everything to provide value back to a community, right? And so he's not going to do that for nothing. You understand what I'm saying? So how do you incentivize a, a billionaire? How do you incentivize a uh, – because we all have this attribute. All of us are about the benefit of what we're doing. All of us want to be appreciated. All of us want to be incentivized for what we do. That's a human, that's a human natural human trait in my opinion. So with that being said, the way it ties in is, how do we incentivize a Elon Musk to actually take on that headache, take on that risk? And if you understand the headache of scale, right, this payroll, when you say payroll, it, it makes me cringe simply because there's so <laughs> many dynamics to managing people at that level. And the more people you add, I can't even imagine 1.1 million people. And you see the headache that Walmart has to deal with from, you know, articles, from you know, pay rate, uh, wages. But, I mean, there's so much that comes with that, not just the act of doing business, but the more responsibility you take on from a scalability standpoint, which is putting your money back into the community, right? You're doing that for more than just the money at that level, right? You're doing that because you want to move society forward in some way, or you have some type of agenda that is more than just money, because money you have, and money, you have more money than you can spend in 10 lifetimes. So the question is, how do you motivate a, a, a successful, you know, athlete or a successful, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneur at that level to continue to feed back into the community as a whole? Um, and I think that's what you have to ask. And are you going to have people to take advantage of those benefits? Absolutely. That's the nature of whom is like you're going to have your Donald Trumps, you know, out there who, who just find ways to, to beat the system because they have the resources and the accessibility to do so, right? But I, I really do believe, just like anything else, there are more people who do it right, people who do it wrong. And and we could look at any aspect of our lives and, and see people who do it wrong, but at the end, of just like police officers, just like, you know, whatever the case, you're going to have those people who violate, right, the rules and the regulations. That's going to be – that's part of the, the human, you know, part of human humanity, all right? The idea is to continue to move humanity forward, and in order to do that, you have to incentivize people who've created so much value because these guys create enormous value. And that's what I teach my daughter. It's not about the money. It's about the value you create because the money is a byproduct of the value you create in the marketplace. And so everything's negotiable. Taxes, negotiable. I believe it or not, it's negotiable, right? It's negotiable based on the amount of value you bring to the marketplace. And when you get so much value – such as a Amazon, such as a Elon Musk and Tesla, that value is so strong and so big. Now you can negotiate that value for the benefit, right, of both uh, the society or the community and the individual. Yourself as an individual, yes. Exactly, and yourself yes. as an individual. Yes. Exactly. No, absolutely. We're at the top of the hour. 
and I highlight some of what you just said very quickly before we go to the break is just to, you know, get in perspective. Um, people may be, you know, hearing you say create so much value. So, again, just some of the numbers I looked up. But Amazon, you know, just using Jeff Bezos as a profile, if you will, generates revenue of $232 billion a year. $232 billion a year. Again, that's not to just – let me. I'm not throwing it out not number to justify, you know, in a sense, Jeff Bezos being wealthy, but here's the actual perspective. He takes on about a $1.6 million annual salary. He ends up as a 10% owner of this company that he scaled to 1 million employees, if you will. So he ends up taking on 10% of the stock, and if the, in his company doing well – is where most of, most of his wealth is generated. I'm just highlighting mm-hmm. that because of the dynamic, again, that politics throws us in on arguing over whether the wealthy pay enough taxes or not. Again, it's just to give perspective. He is earning it because his company has done well on you know on on some aspects. And again, that's not to say that the the the, the workers fight the unions. The fight, you know, to unionize and get their pay raise. I'm not saying that should not happen. I'm not saying he pays his workers enough. I'm just highlighting that in generating 232 billion, he's only getting paid 1.6 million against the expenses. He's actually earning his money from the stock, which is a different way to earn. I just wanted to make that clarity out there. Go ahead and get it out, King. And let me add to that. So one thing about that is you have to understand there's a difference between cash in the bank and a valued asset, right? And and you have to understand also that Jeff Bezos takes on that risk because tomorrow his business, his asset could go to zero. So that's a, that's a risk that these guys also take on, that for whatever reason, their money is cash, and there's a distinct difference in this valued asset versus this, like, if you got a house, that house could burn down tomorrow. What happens to that asset now withstanding insurance? But you understand the point that I'm trying to make. Like, it's on paper Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world. If we look at how much actual cash, if we want to get into those weeds and that specifics, what you just kind of talked about, right, there's a difference between his compensation from a monetary standpoint and his evaluation mm-hmm. from an asset standpoint. And assets are always risky in terms of, what they'll be valued tomorrow versus what they're valued today. Is that great point? Great That's point. Let me go to this break and we yeah. can continue this conversation. Definitely want to hear what Justin has to say about all of what we just said. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at MoneyMotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. (laughs) 
understand mental dialogue is much more than just a talk show each and every saturday we communicate with you for two reasons to dialogue and connect on the dialogue side we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race sex culture and african-american business on the connect side we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance whether personal or business and mental health whether it's trauma or to optimize performance along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetup, and this podcast. To become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the culture. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Ashley Thomas from Making Money Matters. This morning's discussion question, why does Tesla pay $0 in U.S. taxes? Special guest William Agnew, as well as Justin Hempstead, tax accountant. Um, Justin, pretty sure you're biting at the bit to get in on this discussion, but I love that that clear distinction between you know, the money valued in the assets versus the actual money that you have. Uh, you know, again, just me doing the research here, that's how, if you will, uh, uh, Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos, if you will, go back and forth in who's the richest man in the world, right? Uh, you know, like when Elon first got it, it was only a few weeks later where he had a hit on how Tesla was valued, if you will, and, it, you know, he was lost $14 billion, I think, if you will, in, 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 a, in one day or whatever. So that kind of speaks to that aspect of what William just spoke about. Again, just putting it in perspective versus the perspective that the media leaves us in when they talk about taxes. Your thoughts, King? All right. I, I'm so glad that I you allowed me to tune back in because there's a lot of interruptions I wanted to make. But um, I, I want to say one of the things that, uh, and just kind of going back off of what William was saying, uh, when you when you really look at it and see how the companies are, how they provide the employment. Look at if you look at unemployment and how many jobs are lost during the pandemic. But you have companies out here like the WalMarts, like. Elon Musk, I mean, like Coca-Cola, you have all these companies out here employing people, and like he said, they need to employ people, and that's why the government will actually will benefit them or give them the incentives because, like, the government doesn't have to uh, provide for these people. Look at all the people that try to leverage the government in terms of getting um, getting the. I don't want to. I don't want to call it. Um, I guess financial support can it can be a good word, but a lot of people in the economy they would love for the government to give them the checks that they can get monthly checks just from the government because it's like a, just to get by mentality. But when you have companies like Elon Musk, Walmart, they're providing these employment incentives to people so they can um, kind of build a better lives for themselves and help the company. So that that's one point that I 
I really want it to make. But also when we look at when we look at companies and what what other ways can we can we benefit society? Well, a lot of companies. That's why they have um, they they do a lot of charities and scholarships for individuals going to school, and they get incentives for that. Yes, you get to uh, deduct charitable donations um, to nonprofits. So if you want to, you, you have these companies, and you're you're making money, and yeah, you might uh, you might have prof, you might get some profit, but say you donate to um, Mental Dialogue or you donate to Flight Academy, donate to a college, you go, donate to, um, to, well, I'm a Morehouse uh, man, so donate to Morehouse. Yeah, they're going to give you, they're going to give you an, an incentive for doing so. And so as, when you really go back to the concept, and this kind of walks on or, or touches um, what I guess a lot of um, religious people say or um People in church, when you you're giving, the more you give, the more you're going to receive. So I mean, it's just a, a concept that goes both ways. I mean, you're giving from a company, you're giving you're giving jobs, you're you're giving and you're giving charitable donations. You're, you're and so of course you're going to receive however you receive it, whether it's through sales, whether it's through the tax uh, the tax law, you're going to get something so that you can provide more benefit to society. You might not just look, that's why Elon Musk is out here buying different companies, Twitter, you know. He's buy, he's buying all these companies because he's now now helping helping the economy even more. So, let me jump in and say this brother Pianchi wants to get back in, so I'm going to get him back in. And I just again, I'm going to dialogue this cuz I really want to move this last hour into the mindset of what we talked about. So when you explain, yep, if you give to charities, you're going to be incentivized, you're going to receive some type of benefit or tax break because you're giving to charities. And so um, I can think about my personal journey when, as a young person, just kind of listening to, again, the political narrative around taxes, something that I would always jump to is, oh, that's the only reason – you know, they're giving because they're going to be able to write it all off. And, 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 and what I found as I've gotten away from just the political narratives, and right, um, gotten to know, you know, people like yourself, Justin, people like William and others, you know, other uh, friends that are in our mastermind, if you will. So as I've gotten to, you know, know people like yourself and, and hear about others and read about um, entrepreneurs, I like reading, about, reading their stories and where you learn a lot from them. But as I, in a sense, get some insight of how – in a sense, these people actually are because, again, the political narr- narrative paints a picture. The reality is a lot of humans naturally give anyway, and to the to the point of as much as even people give for write-offs, there's, for example, more a lot of money where people still don't even take advantage of the write-offs because a lot of people that have a lot do give. I'm not saying everybody does but a lot of people do. And so what happens with our government is since there is a given nature for for a lot of those that have a lot, they tend to give to whatever they care about. Again, the government says, well, let's incentivize them to give more. Cause with, so, yes, if you are a, you know, I'll just throw a rough number out, but if you are a multimillionaire and you choose to give away 500000 because you probably would have did that whether there was an incentive or not, with the incentives, you might bump that up to a million. 
And again, the benefit ends up being more people than what you may have done on your own. And the mindset can be looking at that as a negative instead of the fact that there's an extra 500,000 that might not have been given away without the incentive. I just want to throw that out there. I'm going to get Brill. Um, let me get Ashley's thoughts before I go to Brother Pianchi. Go ahead, Queen. Yeah, I, I want to say that um, I, it, it's so interesting to be a part of this conversation because I think um, what gets lost in terms of the consumer, right, like the other side of this spectrum is that even though these companies are doing all of these things, I think the the major disconnect often becomes you know, when you talk about like Walmarts coming into towns and how they shut down smaller businesses, um, how crime in the area typically goes up because these are giant stores that people tend to, you know, try to go in and get items. And so I just appreciate the conversation because I think these are necessary conversations in order for people to understand the give and take that businesses have in our economy and the other side of it. So that that's all I have. No, absolutely. Definitely dialogue. I'm going to get Brother Piaki back in here. All right, Brother Piaki, you got about a minute before I got to go to break. So if, I, if you could just put it up. Well, you know, go ahead and get your, you know, no, your five minute flashes. But uh, no, Bezo flipped hamburgers on the way up. We got a bad uh, connection, Brother Piaki. So let me do this. We got a very bad connection. So if you can. Call you back. back in so we get a better connection, and um, I'll go to break, and then we'll start with you coming out of break. All right, y'all, we're going to go to shoot to a quick break and get Brother Pianchi back in after the break. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Again, if you want to get in on this call this morning, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646 787 one six nine one. You have to press one to let us know you want to speak. We'll be right back. Are you serious about learning how to earn significant income on a regular basis as a trader or investor in the U.S. stock or foreign exchange markets? If so, you may be the perfect student to learn technical analysis for trading or investing at the Blacks Academy. With over 15 years of experience in investment strategies, here's what a current student recently said about his experience at Blacks Academy. Yeah, this class has been excellent, and I've had a lot of experience trading, but um, this is the most exposure that I've had to breaking down the theory behind TA. I'm really excited to continue the journey. For a similar experience, don't allow new traders with overnight success to promise you riches they can't deliver on. Instead, learn the foundations of trading and investing the right way at Black's Academy. To learn more, visit them at blacks.academyonline. That's B-L-A-X-E. Academy or search for Blacks Academy on YouTube. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. This morning's discussion question, why does Tesla pay zero dollars in U.S. taxes? Special guest William Agnew as well as Justin Hempstead, special guest co-host Ashley Thomas. We got Brother Pianchi. Get back on the line. If you want to be like Brother Pianchi, give us a call and press one. Let us know you want to give us your three cents. All right, Brother Pianchi, see if we got a better connection. Go ahead, King. Yeah, the gentleman was right. He talked about the the tax deduction. Tax deduction, uh, businesses afford that because not only businesses but organizations because they perform a service to the people, public that the public would otherwise look to the federal government to perform. 
and we know what happened when they tried to get involved with that. And if you look at Tesla, not only look at the innovations in technology that he has brought forth. For those who know what they're looking at, when you see him with his rocketry business, to see a heavy lift rocket come back and land vertically right where it took off, that is phenomenal. And that type of technology opened up other business possibilities. You know, believe it or not, we're not too far off from traveling the way we used to watch the Jetsons do back in the cartoon areas. There's going to be aerial vehicles that's going to have to have support from possible small businesses in order to make all that run smoothly the way it should. And then when you look at the Bezos, Bezos has created an infrastructure for logistics that other countries in the world envy. Just think, you can get on the phone and order something, and it's at your door the next day. That's just remarkable. So, no, these people are doing what they should be doing. The thing is, you need to be training your kids to take advantage of these technologies. And one other thing, too, and I'm going to say this without despite, you got some smart people on your show today, including you. Guess what? I can go back to sleep now. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Kentucky. I always appreciate the accolades. Uh, absolutely. I would love to hear William's thoughts at this point because um, I know a lot of what he does and a lot of, you know, just knowing you personally, everything brother Kentucky's mm-hmm. talked about is the things that you love talking about and pushing our community in particular to take advantage just like you just heard Brother Piaki highlight, and that's taking it to a whole other level. So even beyond, for example, the example he gave with, you know, Elon and the rocket or whatever or Bezos with the logistics, uh, just to, you know, just to highlight it a little further, um, if you will, King. But it's just the idea that perspective that we don't think about is, okay, um, Bezos provides, a, you know, a company that – Makes two hundred and thirty-two billion, you know, brings in you know two hundred and thirty-two billion dollars each year in revenue, and he, you know, he's getting a piece of that, or he becomes the wealthiest man of that type of thing. But to Brother Pianchi's point, his logistics is going to be emulated and copied as best as possible, obviously, uh, and that speaks to that incentive that you talked about, right? That he's got enough incentives to take on that type of headache because of his own vision that now takes. Other companies can emulate or like like you just mentioned with the Elon Musk, the rocket that goes up and comes back in space, that's going to jump right. into so many industries because they led the way in technology that it will bring value that will never be seen in particular outside of within that industry. They'll say, well, Elon's company was the first to do this, and now we have all these other companies that are now offshoots. Again, we're talking 20, 30 years down the line that are created by these visionaries having this amount of innovation. Now, for a lot of people, they may hear us just putting these uber-wealthy people on this pedestal. That's not the goal here. It's just having a dialogue for that give and take that Ashley just talked about. So I would love to hear your thoughts at this point, King. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I heard Ashley mentioned before, and, I, you know, I got a love-hate relationship with the corporation, right? I call them all the corporation. I don't even, unless I'm speaking specifically about Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, because in reality, they deserve, you know, they deserve uh, praise in the sense of 
what they've accomplished, but we don't want to put them on a pedestal because there's a slippery mm-hmm. slope with right uh, corporations being too powerful. Right, we we've seen that mm-hmm. happening. We know what we know what the fallout of that is. So I have this Absolutely. relationship. But, but what I do understand, and I think what we need to pull from this is not so much Jeff Bezos, it's not so much Elon Musk, it's not it's the idea. You know, I heard Will Smith say this before. He said, you know, you know, before he got in all the trouble and stuff. But uh, I heard him say, you know, I'm in love with the idea. It's an idea. It starts with an idea. And all of these guys started with that. Not to be too philosophical, but it's that. Like what you have to teach your children is the val how to create value because what happens is Jeff Bezos didn't create this by himself. Even though we say Jeff Bezos, even though we say Elon Musk, even though these guys are probably not the smartest, not the brightest, not the right. They hired these people, but what happened is they had this idea and they pushed it forward, right? And when they pushed it forward, more people got on board. And so what happened was this train that they started with one person on it started to get more people on it. And then people started to push the train, and then more people started to push the train. And that's how it works. But it starts with understanding your value proposition. And this is what we have to go back and as a black community. We don't, we don't need to fall in love with the story of Elon Musk. We need to fall in love with the story of the idea and the value proposition mm-hmm. that he created that other people got on the bus to help him push the bus, right? He's just he's just the, the, he's the engineer. He's the He's he's the driver, but that bus wouldn't move without everybody else participating and buying into that idea. The fact that Jeff Bezos only owns ten percent of Amazon speaks volumes. Why is that? Because there are other people who believe in what he was doing that is just as influential as he is in where Amazon is. And so what we need to understand is creating value does that. Now you take that value, right? This could be your daughter. This could be my daughter. This could be your son. This could be my son. It's not colored. There's no color barrier in ideas because if the idea is good enough and it's pushed enough and you believe into it enough, the people with money will jump on to support you with it. They'll do one of two things. Either they'll steal it or they'll help you bring it to fruition, right? And unfortunately, sometimes they do steal, right? But with that being said, that idea is what these guys did. And then people bought into it, which is why you do. You have to you have to sell it off, right? You IPO it, and people help you get it to where it is, right? And so it's more about value proposition than even all this stuff that we like to talk about, which is the story, which is the uh, I don't I forget what you call it, but that's the fantasy thing we like to do. We like to tell these stories, but if we get into the nuts and bolts of it, understand the importance of creativity, because if you think about what Mr. Pianchi just said, right? We have rocket ships that now land so we can reuse them. That was an idea. That was a dream, right? And now what's happened is people have helped that come to fruition, and it started with, and now it has this value proposition attached to it, and the compensation for that is is what it's evaluated at in terms of money because that's how we measure that value. And so we have to change our thought about what money is. Money is just a measure. It's a scoreboard. These guys don't even buy into money anymore. They don't even care about money. They care about adding value. And the more value they can have, they can they can add or have, then that's going to add people to it, right? Which is the most important thing. And that's what Ashley talked about. I understand what Ashley is. She I, she's she's kind of in that, what I feel is she's in that 
I, I appreciate the corporation, but at the same time, I understand the negatives of what corporation does to society in terms of pulling that independence away from people, right? But if we realize that we have the ability to do the same thing, to have that creativity, add that value, and then go sell that value in the marketplace so people will buy into it, that's what we have to do. And we can be Elon Musk. We can be Jeff Bezos. We can be if I'm, if you, what you just said is the gold, G-O-L-D. Yeah. That's the gold. Yep. So at the top of the hour, go ahead, Ashley. Please jump in, Queen. Go ahead. So I, I wonder um, how how do you or I, my initial thought is like, what is the question that allows someone to shift into that value mindset? I know there probably isn't one specific one, but I think that when you talk about the average person that has an idea for business. Um, I, I think that when you talk about, like, getting the capital and, and maybe, mm-hmm. like, getting a prototype and all of these things can be overwhelming, um, what yeah. is a question that can bring someone back to remaining on task? Or um, is there a concept or a book or anything that you recommend to keep someone focused and continuing to move forward to seeking that value and sharing that with the world? Or maybe I'm asking, like, what no, no, what no. motivation? You're right on. It's public. It's, I call it public discourse. It's the same thing that Montoya does every week. Consistency and public. The, the, the difference with Montoya, I hope, I, I hope you're okay with me using you as an example. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm but, okay. I don't but, care what you say right now. I'm okay. That's what we <laughs> do. Raw, politically incorrect conversation. Get into it, team. Whatever you say. <laughs> Montoya doesn't sell his value as much as he gives it away. But what he does do is he intrinsically puts out there the information that people have bought into and they support without him asking for it in some cases. Now, I always tell him if he were to, if he were to create this thing where people would buy it, because, which they probably would, but he's just, he just – and that's the difference. The difference is – you have to be consistent in having that public discourse, that public conversation. If you look at all of these guys and you go back and you look at these guys, what they consistently do is that value proposition that they have in their head, they believe in 100%. And nobody's going to tell them that this isn't what they can do and this isn't real and this is not the value that they perceive. And they go out and they will talk to anybody publicly. Now that we have the Internet, it's amazing because they will – and you see how these – these groups are formed, and then you see how these cults, if you will, are formed, and then you see how these and, – and I look at it often. I go, it, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. There is a audience for what you're talking about. You could be the most ghetto, ratchet, whatever, whatever, whatever. You could be the <laughs> smartest guy in the world. There is a community for what you're talking about. Now, if you talk long enough and you consistent, and no matter what it is, that thing is going to grow. That boat is going to move. That ship is going to sail, and it's going to get bigger and bigger, and the influence is going to get bigger. And then if it's good enough, money will then be invested in it for it to scale. And very rarely do these guys use their own, like, use their own money. Elon was broke mm-hmm. at one point. He, he tried to sell uh, Tesla to Apple at one point because he was going out of business. And he went on, literally what he did, he went on a platform, he talked to Obama, actually, right? And I'm not, you know, it, he, 
So I don't know how much the government is played into, you know, his ability to scale, but he sold that idea to somebody who bought in, right? And that's the idea. He just kept having that conversation, and he believed in that dream. And at the end of the day, that's what it is more than anything. So to answer your question, Ashley, what you do is you just, whatever you believe in, if you're strong enough, you believe in it, you, you think it's a great idea, and, and you're looking for, say, funding, you're looking for a, a, a group, a team, you're looking to build some type of energy or synergy, you just got to have the public. The, the problem is we have been so pulled away from the basic fundamentals of believing in and being able to verbally, verbally uh, put in society what that value is. I see it all the time. I see people who are just brilliant, but they have this thing where they can't either communicate it or they're scared to speak on it. And a lot of times that's the gate. That's the thing that blocks them from being able to move forward. If you notice these guys, these guys don't have that problem. These guys don't have that problem. You put Elon on stage, he's going to talk all day. You put Jeff Bezos on stage, he's going to talk, and he's going to tell you what his, what his mission, his goals, and his objectives are. And then there are people who are going to buy into that. And you're going to attract those people. And then those people are going to fund whatever it is that you want to do. They're going to buy into it. You understand what I'm saying? So that's the key. And that's what we, that's what yeah. we got the IT. <laughs> you know, it sounds. Let me, let me go to a quick break, and, you, and, and Ashley, you come with that thought. Sorry, we got to, you know, got to okay. get my spot. No, 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 okay. You know, like, 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 what you saying? I, uh, you know, I ain't always great at selling my value, but I do this every week, and I definitely got to take care of the sponsors <laughs> that believe in what I'm doing to keep Intelligent yes. Radio on the app. So let me do that right, right now. We'll be right, and it's gonna we'll be right back. Up. No, absolutely, it is. Yeah, we we definitely moving. We're raising the culture, which is the ultimate goal here. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. If you're looking to purchase or sell a home in Atlanta's competitive real estate market, there's only one real estate agent we call on, Ephraim Abdullah. Not only is he honest and straightforward, but he has a proven, repeatable strategy that consistently gets his clients the homes they wanted versus their second or third choice. What's Elfram's secret? His virtual on-the-spot offer moves his clients to the front of the line for purchases. And for sales, his no-nonsense approach gets your home sold and off the market. For a results-oriented real estate experience, contact Elfram Abdullah, a licensed agent powered by EXP Realty at 770-800-7922. Again, that number is 770-800-7922. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. If you're looking for a home in the Atlanta area, Ephraim Abdullah is definitely the person to go to for that. This morning's discussion question, why does Tesla pay zero taxes in U.S. tax and pay zero dollars in U.S. taxes? Um, Special guest, William Agnew, as well as Justin Hempstead, special guest co-host, Ashley Thomas, CEO of Making Money Matters. Ashley, I think you wanted to ask another question or make another comment um, coming out of what uh, William was breaking down and, and attempting to, to answer your question. So go ahead, Quinn. Yeah, so I I appreciate the dialogue around that. And I guess one thing one thing that I always notice when people have ideas or they have business concepts, like there's this fear of talking about it because 
of um, earlier in the conversation where these businesses might um, steal the idea. So how how does someone um, continue uh, these conversations if they have not found a way to protect their idea or, you know, like they're just in the beginning, what, what can they do to ensure that um, they're having the conversations with the right people all while maintaining their ideas as much as possible to prevent someone else from taking their idea? Okay, I'm going to jump on that real quick, and I want to hear let Justin answer that. I want to throw this out, and, you know, Justin and William, correct me if I'm wrong. And, again, yeah. the goal is, as I mentioned before the break, is to raise the culture and have this public discourse so that we learn and think about things. So part of what – which is a great question by Ashley, in my opinion. But part of, of that, I had to learn this, for example, going into the music industry for a number of years, and that's always a huge concern, right, the protection of intellectual property and that type of thing work with different producers and, you know, who's going to get the money at this point or, or, or who's, you know, somebody using the beat over and over. So this is always a huge concern within the music industry or whatever, but the music industry end up changing by losing some aspect of the concern that you're talking about. So while it is very natural for people in a sense to be concerned with that, I would offer culturally moving into business, and we've had deeper conversations, so I hope I'm not out of line with this, but I want to highlight this because, again, sometimes we have these shows that build on others. So with some of the shows that we've talked about in the past, and William, you and I have talked about this personally, the idea collectively as a culture, somebody's moving in the background, if you can mute yourself, that would help. Um, But collectively as a culture, if we're honest about, in a sense, our 400-year experience here as African Americans, to a degree, collectively and culturally, we're relatively new to even being able to participate in the quote-unquote American dream, specifically business-wise. And so with that said, some of that concern, again, great question from you, Ashley, but some of that concern also comes from a place of lack and not understanding, which I'm pretty sure is why you're asking the question, but I just want to really, really highlight the psychological aspect of it. Again, somebody's moving in the background. If you can mute yourself, it helps. We can use that on the air. Um, excuse me. So um, the psychology of being fearful about somebody, in a sense, stealing your idea, the ultimate thing is, as great as ideas are, you could have three to ten people share the same idea. The reality is one will execute and it doesn't matter who had the best idea. And so what happens is having the perspective of sharing it to build and get the right team or spend all day on the stage talking about it, as William just alluded to, ends up being to your benefit and the likelihood of you finding someone to help you build it, even if someone, quote, unquote, steals the idea. I think that change in mindset will help more people get past what William and what what mentioned as far as being afraid to talk about it from the perspective that Ashley's talking about. So I said a lot there, Justin, but I just really wanted to get into that psychology. Again, we are a mental dialogue. And, again, you teach financial literacy. You teach people how to enter in the business. But I know your concern is always mindset first as well. Go ahead, King. Yes, sir. Uh, Honestly, Ashley, I, I really appreciate that question because, yeah, my mindset is is key about it. But you know, a lot of people, you know, when it when like Montoya said, you might have three people that have the same idea. 
and they're out here trying to execute, but one of them may not. The other two may. They may do so. Look at um, – I'm going to take it to a larger scale, then I'm going to scale back down. If we look at the company, look at um, Coca-Cola. You have Coca-Cola as a, a major – as a global soft soft drink company, you know, they, but they do a lot more than, you know, just making Coke. But you also have Pepsi. You have Pepsi-Cola. So you have someone that came in, they had the same idea, but they were able to capitalize off their idea just as well as Coca-Cola was. They kind of may have leveraged the same – and I'm going to take it back to the tax side of it. They may have leveraged the same concept in terms of, okay, well, I'm going to start a company. We're going to do the corporation. We're going to employ people. You're getting the incentives for, for tax for doing so. But the way you protect it, that's where you, that's where the patents and the and when, especially when you're investing, non-disclosure agreements and things like that come into play. But that comes back to the knowledge of having, uh, if even if you don't have the knowledge, hiring somebody or partnering with someone who has the knowledge to say, hey, let's get this signed before presenting this idea to anyone. And now legally they're bound to not be able to necessarily steal it. Now maybe they can create something that's similar, but they won't be able to have your exact idea. And I think that's um, when you look at Pepsi and Coke, that's how they both still around as global um, soft drink companies. So, but now taking it down to a, a smaller level, like I said, so you have – when you look at ideas of changing society and what what people are doing, the different, uh, especially where we are now, I guess let's look at something like uh, I always like to leverage leverage real estate. So I may have a a company that I that I've begun, and I am providing real estate in the community. Well, what keeps another in, investor from coming in? and taking a property that I was looking at purchasing. Well, it goes back to the legal standpoint. They can put it under the contract. Now, if you if you want to scale up and say, well, I've got a money, uh, money matters, that's your, I think that's your company, correct? Making money matters, Ashley? Yes, Ashley, sorry. I was on mute. Yes, you might have been on mute. Yeah, that's it. Go ahead, King. Yeah, so making money matters. So, but you have, may have another um, another company in the same in the same neighborhood that's called um, Making Money Matters Now, and they're doing the same thing. So you say, how do you protect your idea? Well, as long as you're incentivizing the country or the economy or the global society, it. I mean, no one's really taking your idea. That you're just duplicating it to benefit more people. It's just you're one entrepreneur, you have another entrepreneur. And it goes back to the legal standpoint of what type of um, contracts can we do so no one is taking the exact same thing. Now, maybe we teach differently. I mean, like I said, I have Flight Academy. Mind you, I'm speaking on a nonprofit side right now, but Flight Academy teaches financial education. Money Matters, that teaches financial education and thinking in, in, a, in a way. So, I'm not stepping on your toes or taking your idea. I'm making my idea unique to me, but I also have the legal documents that protect me and that, and that, you know. Yeah, but it's like the the picture that you might see on the internet sometimes of the picture of the when you go to the bread section in the grocery store, and there's 
20 different companies that are offering, you know, bread, if you will. And, again, Ashley, I know you're not asking from a personal standpoint. You're doing it kind of right. collectively knowing that people are concerned to that degree. And, I, again, just this dialogue right now I hope opens up the idea of not being strapped with that thought because, again, I would offer it, I would love to hear William's thoughts on it, that when you're overly concerned, and, and you're speaking to someone that, when I first got into the music industry, I did go into it overly concerned about exposing my music to, you know, especially something not my music personally. I was, uh, you know, in a sense, the business owner or whatever, but exposing my artist's music. I quickly went away because the industry was getting away from having to worry about a company steal your music or that, that kind of stuff. And by getting away, by getting away from that, more people were able to prosper within the industry. But we definitely would go in that. And to the extent, I'll even give this example, within the industry, when things opened up and people got less and less concerned with that, you still again, you still got to handle your legal business once you're interacting and, and you know doing a contract on a particular song and that kind of thing. But for the most part, the industry actually moved from people that came in overly concerned with that. Nobody would want to work with that person just by the nature of the industry, and it's really a mindset shift not to be so afraid because you're never going to get the idea out being that afraid because you're probably not going to meet the right person that shows you how to set it up legally anyway because you ain't sharing it with enough people. I've been a little facetious here, uh, but I wanted to throw that out to William again, getting more into the mindset of that question being a great question by Ashley, more so than the nuts and bolts of being You know what I mean? Like the idea of being concerned with it is already limiting to a degree is pretty much my point. Your thoughts, William? Absolutely. I mean, I, this, this is something I face every day still today. I mean, in some of my businesses, uh, we get, we get, you know, I, I forget what the phrase is, like uh, copying is the, is uh, I forget how it goes, but. Biggest you form have of flattery, take, biggest form of flattery. Yeah, biggest form of flattery. And that's kind of how you have to take it in a sense because people are going to, I mean, it, if you're the leader in what you do, you know what I mean? Then, yeah, people are going to copy and imitate what you do, and they may change just a little something, but that can't keep you from uh, 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 sharing and having that discourse because that discourse is the energy that's going to draw people to you. So if you're not putting that stuff out there, that's why mixtapes and like, like Montoya is talking about music, that's what mixtapes did. It, it allowed you exactly. to continue to put, your, to put your, 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 your energy out there so that, so that that energy could come back. So. I never in my I never worry about what the competition is doing, right? I never worry about the, what the competition is doing because ultimately, what you're selling is your brand, and your you know they're buying into you as a company or as an individual, right? If you're an individual, they're buying into you as an individual. If you're a company, it's the it's the Coke and Pepsi thing. People like Coke and Pepsi not because of how they taste a lot of times, right? They like Coke and Pepsi about what they represent, what they look like, the story, all of that kind of stuff. So. I would never, I would never buy into not sharing because not sharing only hurts uh, you. So you protect yourself in the ways that Montoya was talking about, like the, the the basic things, the NDA, the fundamentals. Yes, that makes sense. Do that. You need to understand that. But the idea, right? And a lot of times, if you're starting from the very beginning, you're starting with limited resources. So the idea is the only thing that's going to propel you forward in in any case, anyway. So if you just got this great idea and you don't have the resources, you don't have the backing, you don't have the finance, you don't have the people yet, you really have no choice but to go out there and have this conversation that's going to draw people to you. And guess what? The market will choose who they value the most based on 
that energy. Because I can look at you. I can look at you, Ashley, and I can say, you know what? That's 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 the young lady I want right there. I want her. She got that. She got that it factor. She got that thing. But the only way I'm going to know that and put my money into you is for you got to put that energy into me first. You know what I'm saying? Right. Otherwise, you're just like a you like you like a great product that's sitting on the shelf that nobody knows anything about. You know what I mean? So that investment, that energy, that those resources aren't going to come your way if you're holding on to this idea. As a matter of fact, if enough time goes by, somebody's going to do that, and then you're going to be like, man, you know what I mean? And that happens all the time. And so don't mm-hmm. get so caught up in protecting something that you don't own. That's I always say that. Don't protect something. Don't try to protect something. You don't get caught up in protecting something you don't own. You know, we see what happens when you, you do that. And uh, just go out there and give it, give it, give it what you can give it. And the people who, who will invest in it and get you to where you need to be and where you need to be will happen just intrinsically. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I deal with that in, today. Like I have a, uh, like I said, we have a learning center and I can look at my website. We can do an update on our website, right? And our number two and number three competitors, as soon as we do an update, guess what? We go look at their website. They made the same changes. You know, and there's nothing <laughs> you can really do. There's nothing you can, there's yeah, nothing you can really they're, do. Yeah, they're watching that. the leader. They're following the leader. Yeah, they're watching. Uh, exactly. and, and, and copying what's successful with you with the idea of one exactly. day they're going to come up with their own idea to surpass you. But in the meantime, exactly. you create a great industry practice or something that's working, they're absolutely right. going to copy you. Or whatever. So it makes a lot of sense. We're up against the last break. Uh, for the callers that are on right now, you do have to press one. We will give you an opportunity to get in. We only got one more segment. So if you're just calling in to listen, no problem. If you're trying to ask a question, please press one, especially for the first time. Callers, a lot of times they miss that note. You have to press one once you're on. To get in, the number is 646 787 1691. Again, 646 787 1691. We'll be right back. Well, all I ask is that you think. Please join us on the weekend of April 29th through 30th for the Key Lombo Family Fun Fest. This event has something for the entire family with classes in African dance, art, drumming, cooking, martial arts, and many others. Key Lombo Academic and Cultural Institute hosts a series of virtual fun, games, and engaging classes in order to raise money for their students' tuition and competitive salaries for their teachers. Quilombo Academic and Cultural Institute is an African-centered, accredited school in Decatur, Georgia. Quilombo's mission is to foster an academically excellent and culturally relevant education that produces students who are equipped to succeed globally and are committed to social justice. For more information or to become a sponsor of the Quilombo's Family Fun Fest, please visit them at quilomboschool.com. That is quilomboschool.com. K-I-L-O-M-B-O. Are you intimidated by money? Well, this is a question most people never think to ask themselves. But when forced to think about it, many people realize they have unrecognized fears that truly affect how they deal with money. If you want to learn more about money and the fears that keep you from prosperity, join us for Making Money Matter Mondays, where money meets mental health with personal finance coach Ashley Thomas and psychotherapist Dr. Katrina Pitts. Every second Monday of the month, find out if you're intimidated by money and what to do about it. To receive a link to this free Zoom event, please DM the Making Money Matter or the Mental Dialogue Instagram pages or contact 404-604-9477. 
Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Again, I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Happening right now as we speak, the the Quilombo Family Fun Fest. If you listened last Saturday, hopefully some of you took advantage of those classes, African dance, African art, gun um, gun, um, safety, um, amazing classes, family classes for the entire family to have fun. So if you're sitting at home, not doing anything, you want to get your kids exposed to some African-centered education, please go to Kilambo, um to website to see how you can take part in those classes. They started last night, and they're going throughout today. So definitely look that up. Um, the, further ado, I got Ashley Thomas, the CEO of Making Money Matters, as you just heard. We team up with her, Mental Dialogue and Making Money Matters, every second Monday to provide financial literacy from a financial and mental health perspective because it's our mindset, as we've been discussing for this whole second hour, that affects how we are about our money. So if you will, Ashley, put you on the spot a little bit. Um, give them a heads up for what we're looking to do um, next um, next month, Making Money Matter, just, again, to let people know that we're not just a talk show. We are a community club where we dialogue and connect. The connect is the part. You know, let's think differently, but let's connect and act differently. And so here's an opportunity to improve your finances. If anything that we've been saying today makes sense to you. So if you will, Queen, just highlight um, next Making Money Matters, and we'll get back into this morning's discussion to close out the show. Yeah, so um, May 9th will be our next conversation. Over the last few weeks or last few months, we've just been talking about um, trying to get things together where you are prioritizing your money. And so next month, we will be having a conversation about what is your number. Um, This number is what you need when we're talking about savings. This is the number that you need when we talk about having money set aside when it comes to retirement. Um, We are actually going to go through the process of finding your number, and we're going to have Dr. Pittman there to kind of help us as we discuss those large numbers and the anxiety or fear or shame that might come up about those numbers and where we stand with them. So I hope that you will join us. It's going to be a great conversation. Even if you've never been before, there's nothing that you miss that you can't gain from this conversation on Monday, May 9th. No, absolutely. At the end of the day, the reality is a lot of us are scared to look at what it really takes to live within retirement. Um, You're Income changes, your expenses relatively stay the same or what they were at that time unless you're proactive about that. And the real number that it takes when you think about health care going up, so a lot of times people really don't prepare out of fear of even figuring out mm-hmm. what that number should be. But if you know that number, we can ha- try to help you get to that number, surpass it, or as close as possible by being proactive. But, again, a lot of times that includes overcoming the fear of even looking at that number. So looking forward to that conversation with you, Ashley. Yeah. Uh, with that said, this morning's discussion question, why does Tesla pay $0 in U.S. tax? William, I think I stole too much of your time this morning, so thank you. You've been excellent this morning. So if you will, I'm going to have you give us a closing thought in reference to this because, again, the bigger point was not just the nuts and bolts of, you know, how 
Tesla in itself or these large companies are incentivized to play zero, but really to just get into the mindset of how we see it. And I personally kept bringing up the political narrative because, again, I think being reduced to the fodder, if you will, of the media, you know, even pitting us individually against these companies. And I'm just saying, hey, regardless of what that decision is, I best I better learn how to play the game, if you will, regardless of what president is in office. Again, it doesn't I'm not saying it's okay or not to be involved at all, but it's just less of a concern when you start focusing on teaching our culture to be about value because regardless of the tax the law, if you will, if you provide value, you will be okay regardless. And I think that's your bigger point. Go ahead, King. Well, hundred percent. I I think I, I think I'm gonna leave everybody with with this. I it, it, it's I do believe that in the next two to three years, I think everybody's value as we operate today uh, will decrease by fifty percent based on today's standards. So what we have to be actively doing is understanding. We have to look at it from a value perspective because value equates to money, right? Money is just the byproduct of the value you create for the marketplace. And what we understand is today's marketplace is changing, and the value proposition in today's marketplace is changing. So we have to be aware of that. And instead of being so much focused on the money specifically, we need to really understand what our value to the system is and how are we going to grow that value. And that will equate uh, to money. So when we look at guys like Elon Musk, and we look at guys like Jeff Bezos. The reason why Elon Musk is out here buying, buying Twitter is because that increases his perceived and intrinsic and realistic value, right? And the money will come, right, for that. So we have to acquire, just like he's doing, just at a smaller level, not so big a level, right? It's not about him being so big. It's about the concept of increasing your value. And what are you doing to do that, and how is that increase in value going to equate monetarily in the system that you get up every day to make money in. And if you understand that and you work on that, I think you'll be okay. But thank you for the now, Thank you for those thoughts. Now, thank you for those thoughts. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Justin, if you will, King, um, there's an aspect, again, publicly within the media, our country demonizes the wealthy. And, Again, I hope this dialogue at least puts it somewhat in perspective. And I remember reading an article about three weeks ago, um, not knowing that I was going to do this show, if you will, but it was just an article from this billionaire who just wrote this article just specifically from his individual perspective. And he talked about, you know, being wealthy and how great it was in comparison to his brother who made a good life and got a, you know, a good degree and had more time for his family or whatever and said they both are success or both are successes and people shouldn't look at, you know, one or the other as handling it the better way because him and his wife were happy with the wealth that they built, if you will, for their family or whatever. But he was a a, 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 a market guy, if you will. And so he was in his elderly age, but by nature he loves what he's doing. So he still gets up and, you know, teeters with investing in, in the market, even though, like William said earlier, he has, he's, you know, a multi-billionaire to the point where he doesn't need to work or need to do it, if you will, for the money. Uh, but what he highlighted, and I, I wanted to kind of get your closing thoughts on this, but what he highlighted personally was this. He was like, now that I get up and do this every day, because um, him and his wife, like a lot of wealthy people at his level, had decided they're they're going to give away all of their wealth 
at, at when they pass away or whatever. They were in that group, you know, the group that does that. And so, but he said he realizes that every penny he makes now, even though he has more money than he could ever spend, but he's like, I get up every day and work the market, and technically all of this money is going to be for other people. And he didn't even know how that sat with him personally when he thinks about that fact that he worked, he chose to work 80-hour weeks compared to his brother who worked 40 to 45 hours a week and made a nice life for himself. He wanted the wealth and worked 80 hours a week. So it was just a very poignant perspective just reading that article and wanted to hear your thoughts to close out, just, you know, close out your thoughts as well. Well, great. I, I uh, really appreciate this show today. But um, going going on that, when you when you speak about building building the wealth and uh, what we're doing to, uh, I'm going back to incentivizing the economy. Yes, when you get to levels like that, you are giving you are giving a lot of your, uh, or I guess you're teaching, and in terms of teaching, you're giving and. Yeah, you have so much money that you you have no other choice but to give it. What are you going to do with it? And now they're they're saying they're going to give it away when when they pass away. But as they do so, they're just continuing to get more because it goes back to the um, philosophy of giving. The more you're giving, then the more you're receiving. Either way you look at it, uh, you can be the most um, crazy person in the world to say, and I, I'm going to just give some money to the guy that holds the sign out. Uh, need need food or need help, and you're doing this, but you're going to continue to receive. You're not going to go lacking because it's just a principle. But going back to the whole the whole gist of the call today, when we we're giving and then we start these companies and we're providing incentives to the to the economy, we're building wealth for ourselves, for our families, for the community. Then we are actually in a position where again tax law is going to benefit you um you're going to you could possibly become a tesla or the next larger than tesla or the amazon or the you know the walmart so you could become that there's nothing that's going to hold you back from it because you're providing the incentives that the government rewards and now that those incentives that you're providing the government's going to provide you with the tax law which now you reinvest into society to make it wealthier you're creating. I'll give a great example. You have a company. Uh, you have many. Companies yeah, about a couple like, of minutes. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna go ahead and just kind of set you down there so I can make sure I get out all y'all public information that you may want to give. So just sorry to cut you there. We only got a couple of minutes. Um, but thank you again for that perspective and thanks for being on this show. Um, Ashley, want to jump to you if they want to stay in contact and get a, become a part of our Making Money Matter Mondays. Um, how do they stay in contact with you, Justin? Also, you know, give out your public information. I'm gonna start with Ashley and go back to you, Justin. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Making Money Matter LLC or my website www.makingmoneymatter.org. I love it. Justin, make sure you get get out your public information as well, King. Okay, you can you can definitely find me at um well I want you to visit my website, flightacademy.com. That's spelled F L Y T E uh Academy.com. You go there, uh all of my contact info is there, but my email if you want to send me shoot me out an email just to um ask a question or even um to start a conversation. It's J Hempstead at flightacademy.com. My last name is spelled H E M P S T E A D. 
And that is jhempstead at flightacademy.com. No, absolutely. Great show today. Um, just to throw out a, a quick final thought, the idea that made me do today's show, again, was just once again growing up seeing, in a sense, the rich demonize. And, again, this wasn't to highlight them, and I agree with William. You don't just put them on a pedestal personally. As he just said, there's so much other things that could be deemed. And I thought to myself, okay, if Jeff Bezos pays 1%, why is that? I'm like, well, if I was able to scale to provide a million dollars a million, a million different people, their income and their livelihoods for their lives, I probably would want to pay very little in taxes uh, considering I was able to provide a million dollars. And it was just a different mindset. And ultimately, at the end of the day, to our community to raise the culture, provide their value, go after the value, and human nature, you're going to try to pay the least amount of taxes no matter what you scale to. It is human nature. Don't demonize that perspective because I think it, it fails to incentivize you to go after everything that you could get if you get into that perspective. So I just wanted to throw that out there for a closing thought. Thank you all. See you all next Saturday. But all I ask is that you think special edition show tomorrow, Just My Three Cents podcast, courting and cheating, special edition live video podcast, 12 noon. Follow us at mental underscore dialogue on IG or find us on Facebook, the mental dialogue page, live show, special edition, courting and cheating. Courting, choosing, and cheating is the actual title. See y'all tomorrow. All I ask is that you think.